We finished up last week a, a, a little series that we did on the three pillars of the uh, Christian faith. <clears throat> uh, faith in the Lordship of, of Christ, a love for all the saints, and, and finally prayer. And we, we last week just sort of finished up that whole series by reminding ourselves, <clears throat> by being challenged, to be in constant prayer. And I want to just repeat that. Uh, I would encourage every believer here, whether you're part of this body or not, to just be, as Scripture says to be, in prayer, constantly in prayer. Be praying that the Lord would bring growth in your life. Be praying for your family. Be praying about all matters and be praying about the ministry. These aren't just words when we say that we believe that nothing of kingdom value comes, however good it may look, without it being covered in prayer. And we just want to raise up an army of prayer warriors. So I challenge you once again to be in prayer. Now, this week, we're starting a, a, a new series that will probably last three weeks, I think. And I want to call it Coming Alive in Christ. And believe it or not, and you probably won't, but uh, I, I hope to get through chapter 2, verse 10 by, uh, in two weeks. That means, yes, folks, 17 verses in three weeks. That will set a new Woodland Hills record. Uh, we'll have to see if we can do it. But it's uh, about coming alive in Christ, and, and uh, this morning I wanted to lay the foundation for that with a sermon that I wanted to entitle, I'm kind of into movies these days or something, but I want to entitle this, In Search of the Holy Grail. And it gets worse next week, uh, as I want to talk about Night of the Living Dead. And, and Lord only knows what the third series will be, but um, uh, yeah, just come and check it out, uh, Night of the Living Dead. Uh, you'll see what I mean next week. But for this morning, I want to lay the foundation for this series on coming alive in Christ by reading Ephesians chapter 1, again, verses 15 through 22, a verse which we sang this morning, and I want to sing again after communion. Paul says this, yeah, this is no, I need to get this right here, if I button my shirt, it would help. All right. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, Paul says, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, and far above every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let's pray. Lord, as Paul <coughs> prayed in this chapter... We need to stop and pray, Lord, because we are aware, as Paul was aware, 
that human words are never enough. Human thought, human concepts are never enough. We pray, Lord, that your spirit would, even as the word is going forth, be opening our eyes and opening up our understanding and opening up our minds to know, to hear, to understand the truth of your word. God, produce that fruit in our life, but you've got to do it, Lord. And I, I just want to be released from any sense of frustration that I might have because my words aren't big enough. I know they're not big enough, Lord. We need you to be operative here. God, bring growth in our life by engraving this on our mind, we pray. Amen. Most of you, I think, know the story of the Holy Grail. Uh, it began in the Middle Ages. story about, it was believed that... Uh, if you could find the chalice, the cup that Jesus drank from at the Last Supper, I believe that if you could drink from that, then you would have everlasting life. You'd have immortality. You'd never die. But you had to find the, the chalice, the cup. And the story uh, had a number of different versions in the Middle Ages, and they've come down to us in modern times. Uh, one version uh, that some of you may know about is, is the, is, is the some of these students are already laughing, is the uh, version of Monty Python, a scholarly and very erudite and sophisticated version of the story. <laughs> Search of the Holy Grail. <laughs> uh, those of you who saw it know what I'm talking about. Those of you who didn't have no idea, but that's okay. And then uh, Indiana Jones got in on the show uh, in his third uh, movie of his trilogy, uh, looking for the lost uh, chalice, uh, the, the Holy Grail. The idea is, is that there's, there's, if you just drink from this cup, you're going to have immortality. I want to use that story as a way of thinking about something that I think is very common. Most people today aren't looking for some cup to give them immortality, but I believe that they are looking for eternal life. They're looking for some kind of life that will make them full. They're looking for a lost grail. Um, did you ever hear that song? I think it's a really true song. Um, I don't know who does it, but it's everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Lay down your money and you play your part. Part. Everybody's got a hungry heart. Everybody. And, and it, it, it expresses, I think, something that's very true. The lyrics on it are um, pretty bad. You know, I, I got a wife and kids in Baltimore, Jack. Got in my car and I'm not turning back. You know, because he's got a hungry heart. You just got to understand, sorry, got to leave you, honey. I got a hungry heart. But it really is the case that most people, most of the time, are hungry. They're looking for a lost grail, and they think that that lost grail is some relationship they're someday going to have, and that will make their life complete. Or they think that that lost grail is uh, sex. They need more sex, or they need some sex, whether they're single or married. And if they only had that, then, uh, then uh, their life would be full. Or maybe the, the uh, holy grail is some more money, or it's that new job, or it's a new car, or it's what have you, but they're looking for something just around the corner, just over the hill, at the other side of the rainbow, they're looking for that one thing or those three things that are going to make their life complete. And they live with a sort of deficiency consciousness. You should love those words. A, 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 an awareness of being deficient, lacking something, and they're always looking for something outside of themselves to fill themselves up. Now there's even a Christian version of this, and I think it's widespread. I talk to believers all the time, and I myself am a believer who falls into this sometimes, who walk with a deficiency consciousness. 
They believe that there's something that they're missing in their life. Uh, they want more of Jesus, and, and they're hungry for more of Jesus and more of the Holy Spirit, and they're hungry for more of God's power, and they're hungry for more of God's peace, and they're hungry for more of God's joy. And if only they could have this spiritual experience, or if only they could find this secret formula, or what have you, then, then their Christian life would kick in. But in the meantime, they're sort of in perpetual waiting and in perpetual hunger and perpetually thirsty for more, always looking for more. And this is why you have uh, among the Christian populace a real restlessness where they're ch always chasing after things. They chase after this preacher because they think he's got, he's got that holy grail that they need. And they look into this movement, this revival or whatever, because they think that maybe that is what's going to give them the holy grail. Or you go to this retreat, or you go to that seminar, or you buy this book, or you buy into this kind of formula, this sort of prayer technique, or what have you. And you really believe that if you just get that, then your life's going to be complete. You'll, you'll arrive. And so once in a while, you even hit the money, and it feels like you've arrived. But as you know, before too long, you're hungry again, and you're restless again, and you're searching, and you're searching, and you're searching, perpetually seeking for more, thinking that the, 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 the solution to your problem, thinking that life eternal, the fullness of life, the fullness of joy, is somewhere out there, outside of yourself. And they're sincere, godly people, but they're just hungry, looking for more. I want us to notice what Paul does here in this passage that we read this morning. Paul stops. He just gave them, in one sentence, an incredibly wonderful verse. We spent all summer looking at that one sentence. It occupies 13 verses. And then Paul stops, pulls back, breaks the flow of his thought, and he prays for them. But what does he pray for? He doesn't pray that they could get more things. He doesn't pray that they're going to find a secret formula. He doesn't pray that they're going to find the treasure at the end of some rainbow. He doesn't try to add onto them anything. What he prays is that they'll get what he just told them they've already gotten. He prays that they'll get what he told them that they've already gotten. I pray, and he sums it all up with this statement, I pray that you may know him better. I pray that you're going to know Jesus better. And here's what I mean by that. I pray that you'd understand what is the hope of your calling, what has happened to you. And I pray that you might understand the incomparably great power that is at work in you, what's happened in you. And I pray that you may understand Christ and where he is seated. You might say that that's what happens around you because he's told them that they are in Christ Jesus. Paul stops and he prays that they get it, that they understand it. He prays that they'd understand their calling. And he's been talking for those 13 verses about their calling. I pray that you'd understand what I told you in verse 3. That when, you are, when you're a believer, then you're put into Jesus Christ. And when you are in Christ, then you are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. I pray that you get it. Do you understand it? I pray that it transforms you. And I pray that you'd understand what I told you in verse 5. That you're adopted as children. And because you are God's children, the riches of God's inheritance is yours. I pray that you get it. Not just in a shallow head knowledge kind of way, but in a way that's going to be in your heart and transform you. Holy Spirit, open up their eyes. And I pray that you'd understand what I told you in verse 6 also and in verse 7. That in Christ you are loved in the Beloved. That God has the very same love towards you that He has towards His Son, Jesus Christ. Could not love you more than He does right this very second. And I pray that you get what I told you in verse 7. That you've been redeemed. 
You've been bought with a price. You've been rescued from the clutches of Satan, and now you belong to God. And not only that, but you've been forgiven. Your sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west. I pray that you get that. You understand it. Your eyes are opened up. And I pray what I told you in verses 9 through 13, that when you believed, you were sealed. The down payment of your inheritance has been given to you through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you get that. That's your calling. And it was there for you from the foundation of the world. And the moment you believe, the whole thing applies to you. And not only that, but I pray that you just know something about His power. His incomparably great power. In fact, Paul packs into one verse here. It doesn't come out in the English, but in the Greek. He packs, in verse 19, five words that concern power. I pray also, he says, uh, that you may know His incomparably great power for us who believe. And now he uses four words that are different from that one that all mean power in different ways. You could almost translate that. That power that's in work, at work in you is like the power of his powerful power, which he exerted in Christ when he rose him from the dead. You get the impression, I think, that Paul wants us to understand that we've got power. The power of his powerful power. 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 The power that rose of Jesus Christ. I pray you get it. Holy Spirit, move in their lives that you may understand. That's what Paul's doing. And then he prays that we could have a vision, an understanding, a clear perception of who Jesus is and where Jesus is seated and the authority of Jesus Christ because that's where we really are. We are in Christ. And he's seated in the heavenly realms above all principalities and all other powers. Now why is that important? Why does Paul do that? He doesn't pray that they could get more things, get a religious buzz, find a religious trick, get a religious formula. He prays that we'd understand what he just told us that we already have. Because the bottom line is this, and this is what we've got to get. When you believe, simply believe, simply receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. The scriptural teaching is that when you believe, you receive Jesus. And the scriptural teaching is that when you receive Jesus, you receive everything. You have it all right there in Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says it like this. His divine power has given us everything we need for godly living and a holy life. According to, say, no, through the knowledge of Him who called us by His glory, His divine power has given us everything. Say the word everything. Do you believe in the word everything? Everything. He's given us everything we need for life and godliness through the knowledge, the understanding of Him who called us by His glory. You've got to know. You've got to know who you are and you need to know in whom you are. When you believed, when you believed, God didn't give you a little ounce, a little drop, a little, a little myota, a little minuscule, a little piece of salvation. It's not an unformed, incomplete, deficient kind of thing that God gave you when you believed. When you believe, God gives you the whole thing and he throws in the kitchen sink just to boot. It's all yours when you believe. So you don't need, and here's the point, you don't need to be always hungry for more. There's no holy grail that can give you something that you don't already have. We don't need to be perpetually hungry for more power all the power we're ever going to have is there within us, not because of some innate humanistic potentiality, but because of the gift of God and Jesus Christ that was given to you the moment you believed. It's there. 
and hungry for more joy, searching, scattering, wanting around for more joy and more peace and more, more patience and more of this and more of that, more of Jesus, more of the Holy Spirit. What Paul would have us to know is that we've got it all within us. We don't need more stuff. What we need is to, is to believe and to receive and to yield to what we already have. To use what we've already got. To understand what we've already got. To be transformed by what we've already got. Because what we've got is Jesus, and Jesus is everything. There's no adding to it. There's no book, and there's no formula, there's no retreat, there's no seminar, there's no preacher, there's no movement, there's no nothing that could give you something that you don't already have. What you need is not more stuff. What you need is to learn to use what you've already got. Books and seminars and retreats and preachers are helpful to remind you of who you are and in whom you are and what is yours in Christ Jesus. But they don't add anything. They're not going to give it to you. There's no gimmicks out here, folks. Maybe some of you are here this morning because you thought that this might be the place of the Holy Grail. And finally, your Christian life will kick in. Sorry to disappoint, but we have got no formulas, no magic tricks. But we've got is Jesus if you've got Jesus, you've got it all. You don't need anything more. What we need to do is to have the Holy Spirit reveal that to us and to believe it, to really, really believe it. I don't think I, most of the time, really believe that I am who I really am. That's the problem. We need to grow. We need to expand. We need to become more disciplined. All of that is true. But growth isn't a matter of acquiring more things. Growth is a matter of learning to use what you've already got. Growth isn't a matter of getting more stuff. It's not a matter of even getting more of God. It's a matter of God getting more of you. Amen? Think of it like this. The, uh, the Bates. Some of you know the Bates. Jeff and Sue Bates. They had a baby. Actually, Sue had the baby. Uh, and a nice little baby. Six pounds, six ounces. They, they, they name her Savannah. And... Um, Savannah is just beautiful. Now, she's there. She's a complete baby, a complete human being. She's got arms. She's got legs. She's got a mouth. She's got a mouth. She doesn't know how to use them yet very well. She, she can use her mouth pretty good. But the rest of it, she doesn't know how to use. But it'd be really weird, wouldn't it? If Jeff and Sue kind of got screwed up in their brain for some reason, that the reason why little Savannah isn't picking up things yet is because, well, she just doesn't have enough arms. You know, she, Lord, will you please give her some more arms? She's, and, and the reason why she's not walking yet is because she doesn't have enough legs. You know, if, if we had a couple legs here, there, and there, then she could really, you know, spider around really nice. And the reason she can't talk is because, uh, you know, she doesn't have enough mouths. So, you know, we, and they spend their time praying that she'll get a mouth here and a mouth there and whatever. That'd be really weird. And if little Savannah was able and, and, and believe that, little, little Savannah would be sitting there trying to grow another mouth and trying to grow another arm. And, and maybe she'd hear about some, some uh, doctor who could, you know, put an arm transplant on her. And they'd be traveling around the country looking for another arm, looking for another leg. Looking for another mouth. The bizarre, this analogy gets more bizarre. But here's the thing. She'd never learn how to walk. She'd never learn how to talk. She'd never learn how to pick up things. Because she's perpetually running around the country looking for what she's already got. She doesn't need more arms and more mouths, more eyes and more legs. What she needs is to learn how to use what she's been given. And what she's been given is totally sufficient for what she needs. And you know what? A lot of believers are in just the same situation. 
We live with a deficiency consciousness, thinking that there's something we lack, something we need. And we are perpetually hungry for that thing to fall in the slat, and we feel depressed and miserable until we get it, and we never do get it. It doesn't last when we do get it. We're like Donald Trump, who forgot who he was, looking around the streets for a penny, scavenging through the garbage to try to get a penny when we're billionaires. Believe it right now, whatever situation you're in, and you just got to believe this because it's the Word of God. You may be right now in the most hellish kind of situation, totally devoted of love, hatred all around you. All the love you could ever need is there right inside of you. Jesus said that when you believe in me, out of your belly, your innermost being would flow rivers of living water. You have got an infinite ocean of reservoir of God's stuff inside of you. You don't need more of that. Far from being need, needing to be thirsty for more, more of the water, it's supposed to be coming out of you, and it can come out of you. The potential is there. The question is, do you yield to it? Do you know about it? Do you believe it? And the one you can't forgive, you can't forgive on your own ability. The potential to forgive them is there inside you. It's part of the package deal that God gives when, when you become a believer. And you're in, you're in stressed out city. I know about that. I'm in stressed out city. Too many pressures. Drives you crazy. Feel like I'm going to crack. But you know what? I don't need to I, go looking over here and over there for some peace. The, the potential for God's peace is inside of me. Greg, do you, are you hearing what you're saying right now? The potential is there. Patience. Just when you want to pick up the vase and throw it. The potential for patience is there. All that you need. The Bible says, the Bible says, 2 Peter 1.3, all that you need to live the life is there within you. The question is, do we use it? Do we believe it? Do we act on it? Part of the problem is that there's a lot of religious systems of thought out there that cultivate a deficiency consciousness because they're in business to promise you the Holy Grail. And so, like all good product sellers, they make you convinced that you need what they've got so that now you're dependent on what they've got. And what they've got, by the way, is what will make you spiritual. This is what will really kick in. Okay, you know, Jesus, of course. Grace, of course. Bible, of course. But if you really want to arrive and be spiritual, then you need what we've got. This isn't a new thing, by the way. Christianity's always been polluted with, with, with some of this. You find it in the church at Colossae. This church was being infected by a lot of false religious teaching that were telling you that Jesus is not enough. Jesus plus ba 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 bum that's what's going to do it for you. So you find in the book of Colossians, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to go through it real quick. Colossians 2.8, Paul says, Take care that no one takes you deceptive through vain philosophy. There was a teaching here that said, yes, we believe in Jesus. Jesus is wonderful. But if you're really going to be spiritual, you need this philosophy. Our, our, our inside, esoteric, clever kind of thinking, you need some human wisdom. And we've got it for you. And then you will arrive. Maybe a parallel to this, I think, would be the liberal Christian church today. Well, I went to Yale Seminary. It's saturated with, with liberal Christianity. And the kind of working assumption there is this. Yes, we are Christians. We believe in Jesus. Uh, you know, but of course, we have to, in the light of modernity, redefine these categories. But we believe in that. That's good. That's fine. 
But if you're really going to be on the inside circle, if you're going to be on the higher moral plateau, if you're going to have the higher kind of uh, raised consciousness, well, then it's Jesus plus, now, now name it, ecological concerns. It's Jesus plus gun control. It's Jesus plus our social programs. It's Jesus plus feminism. And if you don't agree with that, something's just a little bit, you're defective, something's wrong. Jesus plus philosophy. Or another way that it com comes out today is with the New Age movement. You know, they use Jesus, Elizabeth Clare Prophet and stuff. And, they, and Elizabeth Clare Prophet talks about Jesus, but see if you're really going to be on the inside, on the know, kind of wise, spiritual. Well, now she's going to dictate some books from St. Germain to you, you see. And, and you need this esoteric kind of thinking and wisdom and that sort of stuff. Jesus isn't enough. It takes another variety here, too. In verse 18, you find this. Paul says, look at. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility, I hate that, I am so humble, who delights in false humility, and the worship of angels ruin your prize, okay? Ruin your prize. It means that they'll spoil the, all the goods of the salvation because they make you think that you really don't have it. You haven't met the spiritual criteria yet. And then Paul says, this person, um, he uh, goes into great detail about the visions he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. Here's a parallel to that today. It's all over the place. Jesus is fine. That's good. Grace is fine. That's good. But if you want to really be a spiritual believer, here's the criteria. It's a spiritual experience. We offer it. You need it. And if you have had this spiritual experience, now you're on the inside, and now you can finally feel good about yourself, and now you're in a nice position to judge all those other people who don't have this spiritual experience. If you're really going to be spiritual, you need to prophesy. If you're really going to be spiritual, you need to speak in tongues. If you're really going to be spiritual, you need to be slain in the Spirit. If you're really going to be spiritual, you need to shout hallelujah real loud. If you're going to be spiritual, you need to raise your hands real loud. And then we have sort of spiritual contests. You know, and no one says this, but it's the criteria. I came out of a background like that. It was just understood. You just haven't arrived until you've danced in the Spirit and rolled on the floor and... And, and spoken in tongues. And if you've done that, it's kind of like, okay, I, I'm cool. But if you haven't, you're, I want that Holy Grail. I want the Holy Grail. Dangling a spiritual experience out there. Or here's another form that I very frequently take. Paul talks about it in verse 20. Paul says, since you've died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to this world do you submit to its silly rules? Do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, don't, 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 do, 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 do. Here's the way you can do it. Colossians will come do it. Yes, Jesus, fine. Yes, grace, fine. But we know, we are just in on the know on this thing that if you do these do's and you avoid these don'ts, now you'll be spiritual, now you'll arrive, now you'll be one of us, and we can judge all of those ungodly suckers who don't follow our rules. But we tell you what the rules are. And it's not something you come out with from the internal motivation of your heart. I impose them on you. It's a criteria. It's a holy grail you've got to be striving for. And if you find it one day, you've got to wake up and find it the next day. And you've got to jump through this hoop over and over and over again. The payoff is that now you can finally feel like you're okay because of all the great things that you do, all the other things that you avoid. Jesus plus legalism, or Jesus plus spiritual experiences, or Jesus plus philosophy. What Paul says in response to this whole thing is this. In verse 9 he says, All the deity of the fullness dwells in Christ bodily, and you are complete in Him. 
Everything about God dwells in Christ. You dwell in Christ. You dwell in the fullness of God. You are complete in Him. Because you believe and roll on the floor? No. Because you believe and do our do nots, do dust, touch not, whatever? No. Because you believe. Because you believe. When you believe, Christ is given to you. And when Christ is given to you, everything is given to you. Now look at I am not, I am all in favor of reading philosophy. I read a lot of philosophy. Read a lot of philosophy. There's a lot of truth out there. Read it. Fine. Wonderful. And I'm all for spiritual experiences. I've got nothing against that. You know, uh, uh, and we need more of that. Wonderful, great. In a proper context, you know, uh, I'd like to see the Lord slay people in the Spirit. And, and I'm not against dancing in the Spirit. And that can be a great form of worship. And, and speaking in tongues and word of knowledge and prophecies and having visions and seeing angels. I believe that can happen. It's happened to me once or twice. I, 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 that's, that's fine. More of that. And, and I'm all for a person out of internal conviction. Following the Holy Spirit as the Holy Spirit says, you know what, Greg, this is what I want you to do, and I don't want you to do that. And I make a commitment, fine. But I'm for it when it comes out of my heart and not somebody yelling in my ear, making it a spiritual requirement for me to jump through so I can be accepted. The bottom line is this, all of those things are well and good in their place. But they are only in their place when they do not function like a Holy Grail. They're only in their place when we understand that we are complete apart from them and before them. They're only in their place when we understand that everything we are and ever shall be, all the value, all the worth, all the identity, all the power, all the peace, all the joy, the whole kit and caboodle is there the moment you believe. And these other things at best express who you are. They don't add stuff to you. They don't add value to you. They express who you are in Christ Jesus. No who you are and in whom you are and everything else is a mere footnote. Good and valuable in and of itself, but a footnote. Finally, let me say this. Some of you are probably sitting here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I don't feel at all like that. I don't, I don't feel full. I don't feel, I don't feel full. Here I am preaching about fullness, but I don't, I don't feel particularly full this morning. I feel pretty good, but I don't feel like, you know, I'm not, ecstasy or something. And so you're saying, I don't feel very full. And here's the problem. See, when Paul says eyes of your heart, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be opened. We use the word heart like a feeling. You know, uh, my heart bleeds for you. Your cheating heart. Uh, uh, my heartache. Oh, it's a heartache. And heart, you know, we send hearts on Valentine's. We, it means feeling for us. Feelings. Nothing more than feelings. Feelings like I've never had you. Feelings like I'll never, you know, whatever. I, when I'm picking up radio waves in here or something. I don't know. <clears throat> Through a feeling. Here's the problem. If we understand the verse that way, then what we're going to be praying is for God to work in our feelings. I, Lord, I want to buzz. I want to feel good. Paul didn't mean that. Ancient Jews never, when they wanted to talk about feelings, they talked about bowels. The politically correct translation is intestines. But that's why I want to keep using bowels. I love being politically incorrect. Bowels! That's the literal Hebrew. Bowels. So in, in the Song of Solomon, the groom looks at the bride and he says, I am deeply moved in my bowels by you. <laughs> and she goes, that's wonderful. <laughs> Today I mean something different. If I tell Shelly that she's giving me a bowel movement, it just doesn't have the same effect. <laughs> but back then, that's what it meant. That's what it meant. 
And the heart was the area for the understanding. As a man, the ancient Jews saw the heart as being the place where you understood stuff and you meditated. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. As you think in your heart, so are you. Out of the heart comes all the issues of life. So here's the point. When Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be open so that you may understand, he's not saying, I pray that you get a good feeling about things. He's praying that we would really come to believe and know in our minds who we are in Christ. Feelings are the most fickle, whimsical, wishy-washy sorts of things in the world, and that's why the devil can get them and yank you all over the place. If you make feelings the rudder of your ship, you're in deep trouble. Because the devil can just yank you all over the place. You know, feelings are dependent on, on what you ate and how much sleep you got and what kind of uh, day you're having and whether you took your insulin or what have you. They go up, they go down, they go all roll over the place. Who can trust them? And if, and, and if you are governed by your feelings, your life is going to be one roller coaster and you'll be forever looking for a holy grail to feed your feelings. Paul says, I pray, forget the feeling stuff, I pray that you may understand. Get this in your head, know it. Know who you are in Christ and in whom you are, are you in Christ. I pray that God would sear that on your minds. And sometimes you've got to come against your feelings, which try to tell you that you're not who you already know in your mind that you are in Christ. In Christ, we have it all. When you have Jesus, you have everything. Now, we're going to take communion here as the musicians and the ushers get ready. And here's what I'd like us to think about. We, uh, we use communion for the purpose of reminding our understanding what Jesus did for us. And as such, it can be a way of reminding us who we are in Christ and in whom we are in Christ. As we take the bread this morning, you know, we are really drinking from the, the Holy Grail. If you want to carry that myth on, all you need for life. It's as though all the nutrients of the world was in the bread and all the nutrients in the world was in the cup because we're symbolizing how we're taking Jesus Christ. And when we take Jesus Christ, we have it all. This morning, let's be focused on the Lord as we worship the Lord taking this. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, we invite you to join us in communion. There's no litmus test we put you through whether you're part of this body or not, this is a celebration for the body of Christ at large. So we invite you to, to join us here. Father, as we take this communion, open our eyes, the eyes of our heart, that we may understand a little bit better who you are, what our calling is, what our power is, because of what you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen.